when I took on the job, covering Canadian tech meant covering BlackBerry. And right. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Welcome to Work Mode, a series of conversations with leading creators on how they get their work done. I'm Alex Nemiroff, co-founder of Dynamo, a digital agency in Montreal. Welcome to Work Mode. This is the second in our series of interviews with investors, founders, and startup folks produced in partnership with Accelerate Montreal at C2 Montreal. My guest today is Garrett DeVink. He writes about the business of tech and media for Bloomberg News, with stories ranging from Square's IPO layoff woes to the value of the Canadian dollar affecting NHL players especially hard. Garrett has been a presenter on Bloomberg TV, CTV, and Monocle Radio, and he's been published in Bloomberg Business Week, The Globe and Mail, and The Washington Post. Listen as he gives us insight into the unpredictable life of a business journalist, more interesting than I thought, and talks about the monetary value of breaking the story. He also gives us his outlook on the Canadian tech ecosystem. Here is my conversation with Garrett DeVink. So the first thing I usually do is start off with, you know, a standard set of eight or so questions that cover kind of like key parts about work. And the first thing is what's on your agenda today? What's on my agenda today? So I came in early today. I was sort of on an early shift. Um, You know, we've got this big kind of evolving story going on in Canada where we have this mortgage lender who's in a lot of trouble. Mm. They're trying to stay afloat. And so, you know, we've kind of, um, although I cover tech uh, as a bureau here in Toronto, we kind of mobilize to make sure everyone can pitch in and help out, especially on these big evolving stories that a lot of people are interested in. So I came in, I had a morning shift this morning and, you know, an announcement came out from this lender, uh, around 7.30, 7.45. So I jumped on that, kind of wrote the story. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm not a real estate reporter. Um, the story was about debt and, you know, the company taking out new debt. And that's not something that I'm, I'm very used to writing about. So it was very much a thing where, you know, I'm kind of um, based on the information I've gleaned just from the story unfolding around me, kind of my knowledge about, uh, you know, as a reporter about how to write about business. And then also the, the, you know, dozens of stories that my colleagues have written about this issue over the last few weeks, I sort of was able to kind of put the story together get the first update out. And then, you know, by that point, the mm. the reporters who are taking a lead on it were able to come uh, into the office. So, you know, I started out the day, you know, with some breaking news, um, you know, talking to you now, and I've got a lunch with, uh, with the VC uh, after this, uh, after this interview. And then this afternoon, uh, a couple of the companies I cover Priceline and TripAdvisor, I, I cover travel tech as well. So they'll be reporting their earnings. So I'll be watching for those releases, writing up the stories and listening to the earnings calls. Okay, that's awesome. It strikes me as non-standard or probably pretty standard for a journalist, but insofar as the other people I speak to, that much of your schedule is probably driven by things very much outside your control. Definitely. I mean, in business, we have, you know, generally things happen between nine and five, uh, which is nice, but not (laughs) always the case, right? I mean, you know, we're all sort of responsible for specific things like specific sectors, specific companies. So yeah, if anything happens in Canada that's related to tech, telecoms, media, if it's on a weekend, if it's in the middle of the night, um, you know, we're lucky at Bloomberg, we've got people awake at all hours around the world, but that's my 
mm. my world. That's what I'm responsible for. So definitely I could have a full day planned of meetings, lunches, interviews, suddenly something happens and I have to cancel everything. So mm. it's, it's a bit of a mix, right? I mean, we sort of, you know, it's important to be proactive and set things up and to keep our schedules going. So we're not just kind of sitting around all day waiting for news to happen, but sometimes something happens and we have to drop everything. Mm. What time of day is most productive for you? For me, I really like working early in the morning, um, you know, although it's I don't often come in super, super early, but I do find that, you know, right at 7 a.m., even earlier sometimes if the office isn't too full yet, my email inbox isn't begun being flooded yet with sort of people asking me or pulling my attention away to new things. Um, I really like working then and, and sort of, you know, in the same vein, I like working at the end of the day also when the office has gotten a little quieter. Most people have gone home. I often find during the day I'm sort of responding to things. I'm making calls, trying to catch people while they're in their offices. And then once that part of the day is done, I'm able to sort of sit down and actually write, you know, do, do the, the core of what my job is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Do you do your best work alone as a writer or is there a note of collaboration that, that plays mm -hmm. into that? Well, we do collaborate a lot. And I mean, when you're doing daily news or breaking news or these sort of unfolding events, you know, if you need to get a story out right away in 10 or 15 minutes after the news hits, you have one person writing, you have another person making calls, another person, you know, maybe calling the company for comment, and maybe someone else who had worked on the story before sending in a few paragraphs of context to the writer. And then, of course, you've got editors who are making sure the story is accurate, you know, there's mm. no problems with it, that kind of thing. So you have a few layers that come together. So a lot of my work is collaborative. Um, when I'm doing longer term sort of investigative stories, that's also something I I work closely with other people with. You know, like I said, I cover Priceline, Expedia, and TripAdvisor. Um, a lot of those stories, though, are you know nowadays involving Airbnb, and so I work with our mm. reporter in San Francisco who covers Airbnb closely. We kind of trade notes. We each have our own sources, and so she might call her source, get a little bit of information. I'll call one of my sources sort of firm up that information, get get more, you know, backup for it, and then we can go with the story. Um, but I do, you know, I do work uh, solitarily a lot as well. And 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 it's nice to be at a, you know, in, in a job where, you know, I can sort of advance my work without necessarily having to rely on other people in a yeah. lot of cases. Um, and so it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That probably feels very obvious to you, but that was actually really insightful. I didn't really understand how collaborative that is. Mm -hmm. You know, what excites you most about your work? You really get to do something new every day, you know, for the most part. And even if you are covering one beat, right? I mean, I write about technology, so it's not like I'm necessarily um, jumping around all the time, but I do get to meet new people essentially every day and mm -hmm. I get to learn new things every day, right? So it's 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 a kind of job where, you can kind of go into it and it's sort of your job to ask dumb questions and to ask the obvious questions and to just learn from scratch because my job is to learn information and then synthesize it and you know send it on to other people who don't have the time to go around interviewing and digging up information and documents and that kind of thing. So it's a it's a cool job because it's not sort of this thing where you know you need to have um, you know of course it's 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 important to have context and background do your homework but when I go into an interview, you know, I'm, I'm the one asking the questions. I'm the one learning. Mm -hmm. And the person I talk to is really the one who's sort of having to give me the answers. <laughs> How does it feel right now? For yeah, me, it's I have a to little, ask you it's a little different. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not used to being interviewed. And so I'm kind of <laughs> thinking, okay, what... What do I like about an interview subject and how can I be like that? <laughs> nice. Okay. 
on the other side of that coin, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a, you know, writing about business. Um, it's a competitive industry as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we we always want to be first. We always want to break the news before our competitors do. So, you know, probably the the big thing would be, you know, waking up in the morning and looking at my email and seeing, or my phone and seeing, you know, a bunch of calls and, you know, learning that, you know, maybe uh, Reuters has broken a story that BlackBerry has been acquired by Samsung or something like that. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's really not a good day for us if our competitor is the one who brings us that information. But, you know, it's also the flip side is, is obviously exciting when we get to do that to our competitors. And it's a small industry. We all know the people we we work with and, you know, my colleagues at other papers at other publications. So it's that that angle of it is pretty fun. Take the great ideas you get from work mode and turn them into live clickable prototypes with Envision, the world's top design collaboration platform. Visit envisionapp.com slash work mode to get three months free. In online journalism in particular, is the value of actually breaking the story still preserved? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very interesting question because, you know, like you said, it can be replicated really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So in my business as a a newswire, so we are the ones who are, you know, time is very important for us, right? And, And at Bloomberg, we have clients who pay a a huge fee to have access to our product. And so even though we do have a website, if you want it first, and that might be just a couple minutes before it hits the website or sometimes longer, it, that really counts, right? If you're a financial trader and, or even if you're a a trading algorithm, just an AI or a computer, you need that information. Sometimes even milliseconds count, and it can be the difference between millions or sometimes even billions of dollars of gains or losses for different investors, for different companies. So for us, speed is very important. Mm. And then the reason I think you see a lot of publications and journalists really pumping their egos and sort of publicizing things and getting mad when they don't get the credit for being first is just because, you know, it's a fickle industry and there's still a lot of pride in getting things first and leading the way and and showing that we've done the work and that we've done it in a way that other people weren't able to, right? So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is, especially when you're on Twitter, you know, it's just a bunch of journalists talking to each other. So <laughs> I'm sure a lot of it from the outside looks like this, and I think it would probably be an accurate description that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much, except when you have people who are paying to have that information first. Yeah, that's actually really fascinating. There, Especially the investment algorithm thing, like you may be writing something that yes will be consumed by people but a machine is going to consume and and make decisions on that's to have that in the back of your mind must be i don't know fascinating <laughs> yeah it's kind of interesting i mean yeah and a lot of the stories that i do are are more so about you know their features and their analytical and they're about explaining you know how certain business models work and right. why one company is different from another but it's definitely true when you break a big deal, you know, we have people at Bloomberg who their job is essentially just to write about what companies are buying, what other companies, right? And those stories really move stocks really quickly. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, they're essentially serving a computerized audience as well. That's super interesting. Outside of work, what's your favorite thing to do uh, when you're not working? Well, I live in Toronto. It's a great city for food. It's a great city for going out with your friends and that kind of thing. I mean, I love living here and I've lived in Toronto for about four years now, but I'm originally from BC. So I really like skiing. Tough to do that in Toronto. <laughs> Try to get home, you know, every year uh, a couple times so that I can I can go out west and ski. 
um, yeah, I mean, uh, essentially my life, I don't think is, is too exciting. Definitely not exciting enough for a podcast. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, do you ever given, especially the, the, you know, how news dictates your schedule, do you ever get to turn off? Definitely. And I think that's something that I have learned to do and learn the importance of, you know, one of the things that really helped me. And, and I think is something that if I'm ever in a management position, I'll definitely, you know, try to live in my own sort of way and in, in how I work is my first boss at Bloomberg was very good about being really strict about saying, you know, for her own, for herself, when she's off, she's off. And so she had nice. this team leader job where she was essentially responsible for all sort of East coast technology and telecommunication stories in the Americas. Right. So this is, these are huge companies, Verizon, AT&T, IBM, anything happens with that. She's the editor who's responsible for making sure those stories get written and that they get written well. But I remember she went on vacation once for a week and she said, look, I'm going on vacation. This is we've talked about what the plan is. If things happen while I'm gone, my deputy is available and will be here. You all know how to contact him. Hmm. I won't have my cell phone on. Don't bother emailing me. Don't bother calling me. Wow. And that's something she told to us and also to her bosses. Right. And so I really got this impression that, you know, that's something that's OK to do. And that's something that's important to do. That's great to hear that that's possible. I, I uh, yeah, I would have thought differently. Just wanted to take a second to say thanks to Unbounce, the landing page builder for marketing teams and agencies, for sponsoring Work Mode and for allowing us to use their recording studio here in Montreal. Unbounce has a great podcast of their own for digital marketers. It's called Call to Action. You can check it out on iTunes and at unbounce.com slash call to action podcast. Kind of curious what drew you over to the conference, what drew you to participate in, in Accelerate Montreal? Well, I mean, it was, you know, the, the organizers, I mean, Chris and Antoine, I, I, I know them well, just from my work, They're, mm -hmm. you know, people I talk to often, they, they really help me understand what's going on in Canadian tech, particularly in Quebec and Montreal. They're really, you know, masters of that world. And so I really wanted to help them out because they've helped me out a lot in my work. And I like the idea of, you know, it's sort of a pretty new conference. And I like the idea of something that was smaller and something that was really focused on tangible tools for founders of mm -hmm. startups. And I speak to people like this every day and I get pitches from people like this every day. So I'm hearing about a lot of what's going on there. And, and what I'm seeing is the different attempts by startups to get media attention, to get press. And, mm. you know, many of it is not very good and not very sort of understanding what my needs are or how my business model works. And so I wanted to go and speak to the people there to say, like, look, a lot of the things that people are trying to do to get press is, is not working. That doesn't mean that, you, you know, there's nothing you can do to get press and also to sort of explain why speaking to journalists and building a relationship with journalists is important and is valuable, even if it doesn't translate immediately into coverage. Wow. I, that's actually really, that strikes me as very valuable. Yeah. Um, what is the, that last thing you said, I, I don't know if I were a startup founder, what is the incentive there for me? If I'm not getting press coverage out of this, building a relationship that seems to me, I don't know, kind of a nebulous thing. What, mm. what's the payoff there? Right. Well, I mean, I think it's sort of you, you don't know where your business is going or you might have a, a hope for where your business is going, right? And, and so when a founder comes to me and, you know, in my position, I'm not writing about a lot of really early stage stuff. So we're writing about, you know, later stage startups, bigger funding rounds, mm -hmm. and then sort of really, really unique stories 
that come out of left field, things that surprise people. And a lot of companies, they just don't sort of fit the criteria I have or my editors have for what we can write about. Right. But I like having a relationship with those people because, A, it helps me sort of understand where the market's going and what's going on. And for them, if at some point their company does reach the the level that that I'm reporting at, they already have a relationship with me. I'm much more likely, obviously, to be interested in a story and, and also – um, you know, there's other things that journalists can help you with, even if it's not immediately getting you a story, right? I mean, if you ask, you know, say, hey, this is my pitch. This is what, you know, what we're trying to do. Would you think it's a story? You know, the answer might mean no, but then that person might also, if you have a bit of relationship with, you, with them, maybe you go for, for a coffee with them, you know, they might be more likely to say, oh, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried pitching these guys? You know, oh, this is a reporter uh-huh. I know at this other publication who it might be more of a fit for. And you never know where that's going to lead. Well, that's great advice. Is Do you have a sense as to what the landscape is like in Canada right now? How conducive is it to, to startup success? I mean, I think it's very conducive. And I think we've had a great three or four years. It's mm-hmm. been sort of an interesting time to write about tech. When I took on the job, covering Canadian tech meant covering BlackBerry. And right. <laughs> that was it. And so I really tried to make a push into covering venture capital and covering early stage tech because that's what the interesting stories coming out of the States are all about. And I knew they were happening here as well. And they really did, right? I mean, we had quite a few names that have gone on, raised a lot of money from Canadian and U.S. investors. We have a company like Shopify, which went public. Mm-hmm. One of the most exciting internet companies definitely of the last couple of years to go public. It still sort of flies under the radar, but I think you will continue to see it get more and more attention from people around the world. And I think we're in this interesting place now where okay, we've proven we have a good ecosystem. We've proven we have talent in terms of founders and people to work at these companies. We've proven that U.S. money investors are interested in coming and and backing up Canadian investors when there's big funding rounds that are needed. And we've gotten the government on board. I mean, you can just see from at least the rhetoric and, and now even in the last budget that there is money that is being spent on particular parts of the Canadian innovation economy. You know, artificial intelligence is a great example of that with the Vector mm-hmm. Institute in Toronto. And so now we have to sort of look at ourselves as a tech sector in Canada and say, okay, look, we can definitely claim success over the last few years, but what's the next step? You know, we've got our um, expedited immigration visas for people to work at, at, in tech. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, government support. We've got the media on board. What are we going to do with it? You know, are we going to, you know, where's our next Shopify? Where's our next BlackBerry? And, you know, can we have five or six or seven of them instead of, you know, just having one at a time? Yeah, it's funny. That reminds me of that piece you wrote about the innovation portion of the budget and what different founders, industry people kind of had in terms of recommendation. Do you get to be opinionated about that stuff as well in terms of like how you think that should translate or or are you just reporting? Yeah, I mean, like uh, my job is to report. And to be honest, I don't think my opinions are necessarily the smartest ones, right? I mean, <laughs> the cool thing about my job is I get to go out and, and find the smartest people and ask around and say, who's, hey, whose opinions are really shaping how you're thinking? And how do I talk to that person? Uh-huh. So, you know, but by nature of what I do, I get to, you know, by being exposed to all these interesting people. I mean, obviously, I'm sort of developing my own ideas and opinions, but it's important for journalists to really make sure our own biases and ideas about things, which we will inevitably develop don't really get in the way of things. What I have enjoyed, though, is, you know, my audience still is largely uh, a U.S. audience, depending on the story, but hmm. but often it's a U.S. audience and even further afield, right? And so I really get to sort of tell the story of Canadian tech 
to something that you and I might know, something that you know people who work in tech in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Waterloo would know. But you know, an investor sitting in Singapore or London or even New York would have no idea about. So it's it's really fun to sort of be able to pull all these voices together and sort of present the narrative out to people around the world. Yeah. Okay. I really like that perspective. You're right. I I, I forget obviously. You know, the things that we know and we're familiar with um, are, are kind of not just worth broadcasting, but have an audience elsewhere. Elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe as as a final note, I thought the last line in your online bio was kind of uh, funny. You, you had this a note that says, please reach out anytime if you want to chat, have a news tip, or just want to tell me why the last thing I wrote was totally <laughs> wrong. Well, A, I wonder, do people take you up on that? And B, you know, are you just acknowledging a reality of, of journalism now with that? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if you're referring to the fake news thing, I mean, I, I hope I'm not writing anything that would be uh, considered fake news, but I don't even necessarily mean that. I just mean like, are, you know, you have a very vocal audience I'm assuming and, and probably do get, you know, opinions back. I didn't mean to imply at all that you you are part of fake news. No, well, I I mean, I mean, some people might think that, but um, you know, it's, it's such a cool time to be a journalist. And I think a very, you know, I, we always are are sad about the fact that that things have changed so much and that there's not as much money in journalism and that there's not as many journalists around and all these things are true. But we also, you know, I don't think any of us would want to go back. I don't think it would make things better to go back to the way things were before because mm. now we have this thing, these social media and the internet where journalists can really be held to account by their readers. And one of the interesting things about writing about business is that people are so invested in these stories, right? In some cases, they're literally invested to the tune of millions of dollars right. <laughs> in the companies that we're writing about. And the narratives that we're, we're putting forward and that the, the, the people we're quoting are sort of shaping ideas about these companies. And that might hurt you or benefit you as an investor, as a customer, as a user, as an employee of one of these companies. And so I love hearing back from people we want to hear back from people. We want to be told when people think we're wrong and it helps us develop a story, right? I mean, a lot of the time when we're, when we're reporting out an issue, what we do is, you know, we know there's a deeper story going on, but we don't quite have all the sourcing and the information and the facts to be able to tell that story. So Hmm. we begin with what we know and we, we write a story that says, you know, this is what's going on with this company. This is what we know. And this is the context and that's it. And then often people will come out of the woodwork, right? And they'll say, well, you know, actually you quoted that person, but that person is sort of torquing things in this direction because of their interest, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons. What mm-hmm. you, what the real story is, is this, right? And suddenly we learn something new and then I can go to that person and say, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I want to hear more. You know, how do you know this? Can you connect me to, with more people who feel this way? And so that's often the mm-hmm. way, you know, we work in terms of our strategy is writing a story that sort of will start unpeeling the layers of what's going on with a particular company or a particular industry. And then people will come out and sometimes it comes in the form of you guys are totally wrong. You're totally off. You don't even know what you're talking about. And then we're like, wow, thanks for your feedback. Uh, <laughs> tell us more. Tell us why we're wrong so we can write the story the right way next time. Right. And so um, I definitely want people to take me up on that. Cool. That's really fascinating insight. Um, I really appreciate the time, Garrett. Thanks a lot. Of course. My pleasure. That was a wonderful conversation with Garrett. If you have comments about anything you've heard, you can always find us on Twitter at Work Mode Show. 
And for more information about Garrett, you can follow him on Twitter at Garrett D. That's G-E-R-R-I-T-D. This episode was produced in partnership with Accelerate Montreal, which brings startups from all over North America to C2 Montreal. Work Mode is produced by Dynamic Collective Ventures, a not-for-profit building knowledge-sharing experiences for the digital and creative community. Steph at Edit Audio is our editor. Olivier Allery composed our theme. And thank you to our sponsors, InVision and Unbounce, as well as our media partner, the design blog Mind Sparkle Mag. Please subscribe to Work Mode, rate us on iTunes, every rating helps, and visit our website for a complete show archive at workmode.show. 